I've been talking for the last few weeks about God's building project called the church. Now, Jesus gave us the promise that he would build the church. We've talked about belief. We uh, took the, the word build and created an acronym, and we've walked through different levels of building blocks that God has given us to belief, uh, to believe, have belief, to understand, to intercede, to love. This morning, as we close the series, I'd like to challenge us all to a, a new level of dedication in 2021. Dedicate. Someone say dedicate. If you were to work, look the, the word dedicate up in your Bible, the first two uses of the word would lay a template for what I believe God has given me for a message this morning. The first mention you'll find in the book of Numbers, it spoke concerning the representatives from each of the tribes of Israel that would come with an offering for dedication. Someone say dedication. Upon the altar in the tabernacle. It was a place of public dedication. It was a dedication to be a witness about what somebody believed in their life. And number 7 and 10 gives us this reference. And the princes offered for dedicating of the altar in the day that it was anointed. Even the princes offered their offering before the altar. So there in the place of all the people being gathered together, they would offer an offering. It was a, an offering of dedication, and there was individuals that were appointed to represent the families of Israel. And in that very public place, and in that very public moment, they would create the, uh, the sense of responsibility among the people. They would, they would uh, leverage that opportunity to, to give an example to everybody around them about what they would do as far as dedicating. The, that, that dedication on the altar represented so many things. It, it represented lives that were submitted to God. It represented a, a cost that would take place. You can't have sacrifice without cost. And, and so they represented that gift with cost. It, it represented uh, that, that willingness to give give to God everything. Someone say sacrifice today. Dedication requires sacrifice and sacrifice comes at a price for all of us. It's a price that we've got to be willing to pay. There is no dedication unless it costs us something. And there in that place of public dedication, those individuals, that anointed altar became a representative of not just a sacrifice or an animal that was given. But it was a dedication about lives that were given to God. I think we have to be careful sometimes because we can become so focused on what we give financially or what we give physically and, and how we offer ourselves to God that, that we can miss the moment about giving the very deepest part of ourselves. Our activity is important, but our activity has got to mirror the heart of an individual that has a desire to serve God and to dedicate their lives to Him. So it's very important that we have a public demonstration of dedication. But more than that, there's also responsibility that's given to us in Scripture about personal dedication. Personal dedication happens in places of privacy. It's out of the public eye. The cameras aren't rolling. The video feed isn't scrolling. Uh, we're not scrolling, strolling it to the, the world around us. It's not kind of streaming out there for everybody to see. It's, it's in those places of personal and private dedication that God begins to work on the real you. It was even before battle that the officers were challenged. The priests would go through the camp of Israel and, and the officers of the people would begin to talk to the different men that were gathered. They would speak to them and say, what man is there 
that hath built a new house and hath not dedicated it. Let him go and return to his house. Someone say your home. Lest he die in the battle and another man dedicate it. Even the officers and the priesthood knew that a man's heart could be divided and if somehow he had been called into battle or called onto the battlefield but yet had not done the work of dedication in his own home, that he wasn't fit to be in that public place of service. He wasn't fit to be there. His, his, uh, his focus would be divided. His, his intention could be destroyed because he had been divided at home. He hadn't dedicated his home yet. He hadn't given it to God. He hadn't turned it over. And even the priesthood and God knew and the officers knew that that place of personal dedication had to occur. It couldn't be overlooked. And so they would literally allow their army to be diminished if somebody had to return to their home for the purpose of personal dedication. This requirement for dedication wasn't optional. It was mandatory. That place of public dedication and that place of private dedication. We all need to have dedication in our lives. Some of the greatest public figures in Scripture had Great public venues. They had many eyes that were pointed in their direction. But if you look carefully beneath the surface, you'll find over and over again that they would have very, very pointed places of personal dedication. Job has our attention in the Old Testament. But the Bible still tells us that he rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of all of his children. And Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. And the Bible tells us this, thus Job did continually. Noah in Hebrews 7, it says that he built an ark for the saving of humanity, but it didn't stop there. It was for his own family, his own house, for the saving of his house. It was Joshua, you know the scripture very well with me, choose you this day whom you will serve as for me and my house will serve the Lord. I, I know that those are all public figures, but they had very personal, private places of dedication. I, I'm issuing a dedication challenge this morning in 2021. Are you willing to have a personal place of dedication today? There's public dedication and there's private dedication. If you'd allow me, I'd like to walk us back through scripture to a place and in a day that lacked dedication. The setting is in the early years of Samuel's life. His mom has brought him to the temple and dedicated him to the service of God, but it's a stark contrast to the lives of those that he's entrusted to. The spiritual situation is dire in Israel. The Bible tells us there's no open vision. The natural and the spiritual eye of Eli is dimmed. And the Bible even says that the lamp goes out in the temple. The sons of Eli are evil. And the enemy always likes to strike the weakest point. And so the Philistines come in against Israel and defeat them in battle. Israel's attempt to rally its people and retrieve the Ark of the Covenant from its tabernacle in Shiloh. They, they bring it into battle with them and they're buoyed by the hope but only to be completely defeated because the Philistines slay them in battle. The priesthood is destroyed. Hophni and Phinehas are killed and the ark is captured and taken away. And when this word reaches Eli, he falls over and dies. And Phinehas' wife goes into labor of her son and she 
pens his name and also the fate of Israel with one word, Ichabod, the glory of the Lord is departed. It's the Philistines that have this beautiful ark. It's a wonderful trophy of their defeat of Israel. They move it into their main cities and every time that they seem to settle it down, God begins to bring a curse upon his enemy. You see, I heard someone say that God had to move himself out of the camp of Israel or move Israel out of their camp. And so he chose to go himself and defeat the enemy. And as that ark is erected in different places of prominence in the enemy territory, God begins to destroy and defeat Philistines one after the other. They, they set up the ark in, in Ashdod. It's the place of Dagon's temple. But as God begins to bring a curse on the Philistines, they move it from there to Gath. That great city, we know Gath. That's where Goliath, the giant, comes from. But God's greater than the giants. And God's greater than the Philistines. And he brings victory time after time. As a matter of fact, all the cities, the great cities of the Philistines are destroyed. Ashdod, Gath, and Ekron. They're, well, they're not destroyed, but they're greatly hindered. They're cursed because of the Ark of the Covenant. So finally they give up. And they put it on a new cart. And they send it back to Israel. And the cows drive straight to Beth Shemesh and and the Bible tells us that when the Ark of the Covenant gets there, the people open the Ark and the God, the glory of God destroys 50,070 men. The Ark is removed from there and it's taken to the house of Abinadab and Kerjath Jerem and Eliezer, his son, is sanctified. He's appointed by Samuel to be the keeper of the Ark. Stay with me. It's more than just the raiders of the lost Ark this morning. For 20 years, the ark is quietly kept in the house of Abinadad, and Eleazar does his job. Think with me, it's those 20 years that David comes into prominence. The place of pri that private place of dedication in David's life through his boyhood. It's shepherds and slings and bears and lions and giant Goliath of Gath is defeated on the battlefield. David's anointing by Samuel, and it's the strife that's written in the Psalms, and Saul and Jonathan... And wars and trouble and death and dying and finally David's coronation. All that time, those 20 years, the ark is quietly kept in the house of Abinadab. Following David's coronation, not much is mentioned about the ark. But David, in 1 Chronicles 13, consults with the captains of thousands and hundreds and with every leader. He said unto the congregation of, the, of Israel, he said, if it seem good unto you and that it be of the Lord our God, let us send abroad unto our brethren everywhere that are left in all the land of Israel, and with them also the priests and the Levites which are in their cities and suburbs, that it may be that we could gather themselves unto us and let us bring again the ark of our God to us. For we inquired not at it in the days of Saul. It seemed like Saul just overlooked it and Samuel understood it wasn't his place to, to deal with the ark. There was a time coming, there was a season coming when the ark would have a purpose and a plan. The ark of the covenant we're talking about. So the Bible tells us David gathers 30,000 men to the house of Abinadab. And he brings a new cart. And Uzzah and Ahio, I, I didn't think about this before, but they weren't just kind of Sideline guys, if you think with me, 30,000 men, that's about half of Fredericton proper men. David gathers them together, and out of those 30,000 men, he has two men, Uzzah 
and Ohio. They take the reins and they begin to bring the Ark of the Covenant back to its prominence in Israel. The Bible tells us that everything seemed to be in order. David and all of Israel played before God with all their might and with singing and with harp, something like this morning, and with psalteries and with timbrels and with cymbals and with trumpets. It was, it was a shindig. It was the real deal. It was, it was, it was a party happening. The, the road was littered with celebration and people were rejoicing. And, and, uh, and Uzzah and Ohio, there they are. They're driving that new cart and they've got the ark and that place of prominence. And, and everything seems to be going right until they come to the threshing floor of Nacon. The Bible tells us that the ox stumbled and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah because he reached out. It says in, in 1 Chronicles 13 that he put forth his hand to hold the ark. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah. And he smote him because he put his hand to the ark and there he died before God. Now listen with me for a moment this morning. I'm just setting the setting for the lesson today. The Bible says that David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah. Wherefore the place was called Perez Uzzah to this day. David was displeased, and then verse, verse 12, and David was afraid of God that day, saying, how shall I bring the ark of God home to me? The great warrior David was afraid. Think about it with me. David, David that fought Goliath. David that at this point has already so many victories behind him. He's already under his belt. He's got victory after victory. His train is long because he's invaded the enemy and come out victorious time after time. Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his ten thousands. David, fearless David, now stands. And the scripture is explicit. It said, and David was afraid. David was full of fear that day because he knows how to fight the enemy. But how can he fight God? He can't fight God. And he doesn't understand why God has done what he's done. He's in that place of misunderstanding. He's in that place where he's troubled. He's in turmoil. Why, God, would you allow this to happen? I, I mean, I got the people in order. I, I got the priests together. I've got everything in order that should be in order that I know to do. And now I've got a burial that's going to take place because I decided to bring the ark back to Jerusalem. I, I don't understand. And, and David was afraid. I don't know about you, but fear has reared its head a few times in the past, in the past 10 months. Fear has come to the surface a couple of times because I, I, I know that the word says no plague shall come nigh our dwelling. But can I be honest this morning? It feels like it has. Can I, be, can I be honest this morning? Because sometimes in the midst of misunderstanding, you can get dismayed. David was displeased in verse 11. I, I, I can just be honest this morning in this room. I, I know you love me and I think you understand my heart. But I've been displeased because of what I've read and what I've seen. I'm displeased because I'm not upset at people. I, I hear here's the danger. I, I'll fight the devil. I'm mad at the devil. I'm angry. I'll, we'll go to war. I mean, us 50 against 50,000. It don't matter if it's the enemy. But, but I don't understand what God's doing right now. 
Is that okay? Is that okay to be really, really honest? Is it, is it okay to say that, that I don't understand why Eli Hernandez is no longer with us? Is it okay that I say that out loud? Is it, is it okay that, that I don't understand that, that COVID-19 would take a prophet of God and evangelist to spread the word of God? Can I just say that I don't understand why it was allowed to touch our church? Why it was allowed to touch our pastor? Why it was allowed to touch his family? Can I, can I just say I don't understand that? I, I'm displeased. I'm not happy. I, I don't understand. And if I can be brutally honest this morning, I'll say I had a little bit of fear. Because we can fight disease. But how do we fight what seems to be the hand of God? David was afraid. Is it just me? I mean, faith steps to the surface. I've declared it with you. I've declared about the ability that God has, that the blood is greater. It's more than enough. I've declared it with you. We've stood on the word of God when we don't even understand why. Because sometimes you just have to practice faith over fear. But somewhere, somewhere in there, there's just that little, little bit of fear that rises to the surface. But you've got to push it down with faith. You've got to push it down by faith. You've got to trust that God's at work. You've got to trust that God's going to move. You've got to trust that the outcome is greater than the input that's, that's coming into our mind right now. When the headlines seem, and, and now they're talking about a second wave and a third wave. And I don't like the division that's come. And I don't like the, the, all, all the things that are happening around us. I, I hate listening to the news. I don't like it. Because I don't want fear to raise its head in my life. I don't want fear to raise its head in your life. But right now, I don't understand. So the only thing I've got to rest on and the only thing that I've got to rely on is that somewhere in the word of God I see men and women that were full of faith that looked problem in the eye that looked trouble in the eye that looked disease in the eye that looked death in the eye and said despite all of that I'm still going to trust God though he slay me I will trust him I've got just enough faith today to believe that God's still at work he's still building his church he's still moving in our midst there's still people being baptized in his name there's still people being filled with the Holy Ghost I still believe I still believe that's why when we begin to sing, I'm going to see a victory for the battle belongs to you, Lord. I need someone just to kind of declare that with me with a hand raised and a voice lifted for a moment. I wish someone would just begin to say, I'm going to see a victory. I'm going to see a victory. Come on, I'm going to see a victory. I believe it. I'm trusting it. Lord, you're greater this morning. So David said, I, how long shall I bring the ark of God home to me? So David brought not the ark home to himself to the city of David. In this verse, I'd like to exercise your imagination with me this morning because it says, but carried it aside into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. It was Obed-Edom. Maybe it was just 
happenstance that he lived where he did. I don't think so. I think that threshing floor that jostled the cart that the oxen tripped on was within sight of Obed-Edom's house because the Bible says that David carried it aside into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. Now just pause with me for a moment this morning. If you, if you were Obed-Edom and you knew the history of the ark, what would you do before it came through the doors of your home? What would you do? What, what, what kind of activity would take place in your life? What, what would you begin to do when, when you knew that the glory of God was coming through the door of your home? What kind of things would you begin to put in order? I, I know we see the dedication of Solomon's temple, but, but this temporary resting place for the ark, I believe that before, before they ever entered into Obed-Edom's home, Obed-Edom began to do the math and say, well, 50,000 have, have lost their lives. 50,000 and 70 have lost their lives because they opened the, the, the cover of the ark and peered in. So I'm not wanting that to be a part. So before I bring that into my home, I'm going to get some things in order in my house. I'm going to make sure that, that there's some things in order. I, I think that Obed-Edom began to take a look around, and, and if there was anything that hinted or resembled anything that would be an idol or anything that would distract from the true glory of God, I'm going to guess that, that he began to move some things out the back door before the ark came in the front door. I think that the, that, that place of dedication uh, in, in Obed-Edom's life happened in that moment. Before David brought it into his house, Obed-Edom was doing the math. Uh, the Philistines couldn't handle it. They sent it back. They wouldn't dare touch it. They, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't just kind of leave it. And, and now they're digging a grave for Uzzah outside because he touched the ark. 50,000 people have lost their lives. I, I think that before Obed-Edom allowed the ark to come into his house, he knelt on the threshold of the doorway of his home and he began to prepare what was going to happen on the inside. I, I think he moved some things aside because I'm not going to put the ark of the covenant in the storage room. I, it's not going to go in the utility room. I, I'm not putting it next to the furnace. I, I, in my mind, I believe that, that that most prominent place in his home became the resting place for the ark. And as they brought it in and placed it in his home, that place became a house of dedication. If he had done what Israel had commanded, then that house had already been dedicated. But I'm guessing that he had already gone about and made sure there wasn't anything that would upset God. There wasn't anything there that, 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 that kind of would, would be a, a testing point for him or his family. He prepared his home for what was about to take place. I feel the Holy Ghost right now. I, I know that we're not all together. But maybe that's for the best this morning. It's for the best because the sanctuary is literally torn apart right now. And maybe, but maybe it's the best because we have the opportunity for many of you to be in your house this morning. And I'd like us to begin to mentally prepare to dedicate our homes. I don't know if, uh, I don't know if you got any oil handy. I don't know if you got some Crisco that you could use. I don't know what you've got, but before the end of the lesson this morning, 
I'm wondering if we couldn't anoint the doorposts of our home and begin to say, God, I'm dedicating my life and my family to you. It may be, I, you say, now I don't know how many people are responding or reacting, but I, I believe that God gave me a word this morning for our church family. And I'm wondering if somebody would just have the faith in the midst of fear to say, I'm going to anoint the doorposts of my home today. I'm preparing to dedicate my life. I'm preparing to dedicate my family. I, I've just got this image of Uzziah or, or, uh, uh, as he began, not Uzziah, uh, of Obed-Edom as he prepared his house, uh, that he began to get ready for the glory of God. How do you get ready for the glory of God to come in your midst? You dedicate. That's what happened through the Old Testament. You dedicate the doors. You dedicate the room. You begin to pray and say, God, if there's anything in here that shouldn't be, I, I, I'm preparing this house for your presence. I'm preparing this place for your glory. I think, it, I think it defined the conversation that happened. I, I'm going to guess that it really didn't get old that the Ark of the Covenant was resting in the house of Obed-Edom. I'm going to guess that his children, as they would gather around, he'd be sure. Now, now, kids, make sure that your lives are in order. Make sure that you prepared and repented to be in the presence of God because he's right here in our midst. The ark, that beautiful ark with the cherubim that rested uh, over top of the mercy seat became the conversation point for that house. He, he probably talked to his family, his wife. He, he discussed about what was in the ark. Aaron's rod that budded. The Ten Commandments. The golden pot of manna. And it became the illustration about a God who could do anything. A God that could bring life to lifelessness. A God that pr could provide in the midst of no provision. He began to preach about what God could do. I, I'm talking to somebody today about your home right now. About what God could do in your house. I, I know that Obed-Edom began to prepare his life. And he began to prepare his home. And he began to prepare his family. And somehow in the midst of where fear dwelt in David's life, Obed-Edom began to be filled with faith. He began to declare the goodness of God. You see that mercy seat? We wouldn't all be here, but the blood of the Lamb covered the mercy seat, and it gives us the opportunity to live when we should die. Children, let me talk to you about the Lamb, the perfect, spotless Lamb. The Lamb, the blood that would be shed is so that we could live. The Lamb's going to lose his life, but we're going to get to live. That is the power of the mercy seat. He began to talk to his family about what, what that ark represented, about God's covenant with Israel, the Ten Commandments, about the law that God gave to protect them all. I feel an unction from the Holy Ghost right now because we stand today and we can talk about the same things. We can talk about a God that still is in covenant with his people. He's still at work. The blood of the Lamb is still being shed for every sin that we would ever commit. And we only live because of the goodness of God. Today, we get to see his provision day after day after day, over and over again. Every morning, his mercy is new, and we get to talk about it. I'm talking to us about what we should discuss in the midst of our home. Obed-Edom couldn't get around it when he came through the doors. It defined his conversation through the day. It determined what activity he took part of. It decided what his children would take part in. It, it, the ark's at home. I, I don't want to run the risk of my family. And that dedication impacted his home. That dedication. When he realized that the glory of God came through his doors, 
impacted everything that he did. We, we kind of just brushed past it in scripture, but I want us to slow up and pause for a moment and think about it. For three months, the ark stays in Obed-Edom's home. Three months. But in that three months, the Bible says, First Chronicles 13, it says, And the ark of God remained with the family of Obed-Edom in his house three months. And the Lord blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that he had. So somewhere in the midst of David's fear, he begins to hear the story of Obed-Edom's faith. And because one man dedicated his life, all of a sudden, the king of Israel was believing that God was still at work. That God hadn't abandoned them. The cart was wrong, but the ark was right. God begins to bless the house of Obed-Edom. And it brings courage into David's life. And you know the rest of the story. I won't talk about it this morning. How David goes and he does it right this time. Seven paces. The sacrifice happens. The ark is born on the shoulders of the priesthood and it comes back to Jerusalem the way that it should have. That's not the end of Obed-Edom either. As a matter of fact, Obed was so moved because of his connection and three-month housing of the ark of the covenant that he decided to move his entire family with the ark. You see, if we're willing to build God a house, then God will build our house. If we're willing to build a place for God in the midst of our activity and our daily routine, then God will work amongst us. The story didn't finish there. Obed was so moved that he moved his entire family. First Chronicles Tells us about it in verse six, chapter 16, verse 37. It said, David left Asaph and his brothers there before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to minister before the Ark regularly as every day's work required. But then verse 38 goes on. It says, and Obed-Edom with his 68 brethren, including Obed-Edom, the son of... Je- well, we won't go into all that. Just say it with me. To be gatekeepers. I don't know about you, but that story impacts me because it just didn't stop with Obed-Edom. And it didn't stop with his sons. It didn't stop with the impact that he had on the entire kingdom of Israel. But the Bible says that from generation to generation, God impacted the house of Obed-Edom. And it said in First Chronicles 26 and verse 8, all these were of the sons of Obed-Edom, they and their sons and their brethren, able men with strength for the work, 62 of Obed-Edom. That there were literally, the offspring of Obed-Edom was 62 individuals, eight sons, the grandchildren and grand, the children and grandchildren that he had were 62 in number, and all of them, without a single exception, were appointed to be gatekeepers in the house of the Lord. Everyone of them were saved. 
It's an unusual blessing. The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and his offspring, the generations that would follow because of his dedication. So we're left with the question today, what do we do in our homes that will make a difference? I think the first part of Obed-Edom's life that talks to us is that he was willing to bring the ark in. It cost him something. It cost him commitment. It cost him his will. Because it would no longer be his will, but God's will that was done. It cost him the price for sanctification and commitment. It cost him, someone say it with me, dedication. Dedication makes a difference, not just in your life, but in the generations that will follow. Psalm 127 says, as arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gates. And we're left with that promise. If you build God's house, he'll build yours. You're going to build a house. The wise build and the simple build. But it's what you build that matters. We can come back to the music this morning. I hate not being able to all assemble at CCC, but could it be that God is challenging us to dedicate our homes like we never have before? Our homes. Our homes with all of their imperfections. I don't know about you, but... The last month has cost me an arm and a leg at home. I mean, everything is broken at home this month. The stove went. I thought, well, that's a temperature sensor. I looked it up online. Brother Jeff, I should have called you first. Temperature sensor, no. Tried that. Didn't work. Control board. That's just a minor $180 part. So my workaround was a $5.99 toaster oven that I'd bought at Martin's about 20 years ago. So Kathy was baking two biscuits at a time. The shower head fell off the shower. Replace that with one that I had in the garage, turned it on. <laughs> it blew the cover right across. <laughs> so my workaround for that was <clears throat> half a roll of black electrical tape. That lasted about two days, and Justin came out soaking wet and said, Dad, the shower blew apart. had to get another shower head your home your home your home anything like my home got lots to fix got to lots to repair but that's just the physical stuff doesn't really matter doesn't really matter what kind of stove it is or shower head you put on doesn't doesn't really matter because it's 
It's not going to last forever, but those people that call that place home with you, that's what really matters. And for me, when I read this story, we're not given definition about Obed's home. We don't know the square footage, how many floors it was. We don't, we don't know what the foundation looked like. We don't know. But when I read and I find that his future generations were impacted and every one of them were involved and being doorkeepers in the house of God, that moves me. Because the older I get, I'll be equally honest, it doesn't matter so much about me anymore, but it does matter about what's coming after me. So how are we impacting the next generation and how are we impacting this current generation? That matters. And so in the midst of confusion, in the midst of fear, like David had, in the midst of all of that, there still is Obed-Edoms that step to the surface and rise to the challenge and say, not in my lifetime, not in my family, and certainly not in my home. I'm dedicating. I'm dedicating publicly. I'm dedicating to a church family like CCC. I'm dedicating today because that's going to make a difference. But in my personal and in my private place, in my own home, I'm dedicating today. Someone say dedicate. If you build God's house, he'll build yours. In closing this morning, I just want to tell you a story about a group of students. Took a trip to England. It was 1940. Professor Edwin Orr of Wheaton University led a group of theology students there, and they visited the great sites of great revivals. One of those locations was Epworth Rectory, the part-time home of John Wesley, a famous reformer who had led a spiritual renewal movement in the 1700s. Students toured the home, the kitchen, where the meals were prepared, where John Wesley ate. They got to be in that kitchen, see where they sat, ate meals, and they moved, the tour moved from there into the sitting room where they would entertain guests and people that would come and visit with Mr. Wesley. They they looked into the library where the cloth and the leather-bound books that served as inspiration and instruction were still there. His place of learning, his place of education, his place of knowledge. And they ran their hand down the back of the books and smelled that dusty smell of old parchment. And finally they moved and there was a stairwell that took them upstairs. And they went upstairs and in that upper level was the bedroom where John Wesley lived. Where he spent his nights for sure, slept soundly. But more than that, it was the place where John Wesley prayed. As a man of prayer, Wesley, the Bible, or sorry, the Bible, history tells us that Wesley interceded for revival to sweep through England. And his prayer wasn't just minutes a day or moments a day, but it was hours every day that he would spend before he began to go about his functions as pastor and preacher. But it was there in his own home, in that place of private dedication, that the carpet fibers had worn bare and thin next to his bed. 
And it was just a point of reference as the Torah was moving through. To the students, he pointed, the tour guide pointed out, he said, Doc, Dr. Orr, he pointed it out, Professor Orr. He said, well, that's where Wesley prayed. You can still see the indent in the floor, the impact of a man that prayed for revival in his nation. A man that interceded and impacted his world because of his personal dedication. The tour concluded, the students loaded the bus, and after counting them, Dr. Orr noticed that one was missing. He turned to the home and walked through the kitchen, the living room, the sitting room. Eventually, he worked his way up the stairwell and found the one lost student there in John Wesley's bedroom. He was kneeling on the worn impressions on the floor where Wesley had fervently prayed for revival. And the student was repeating over and over again these four words. Do it again, Lord. Do it again. And would you do it again with me? Fervently praying. He, he didn't notice the professor had entered the room and he walked over. He placed his hand on the young man's shoulder and Professor Orr said, Billy... It's time to leave. Everybody's on the bus. The students slowly rose, and Billy Graham joined the rest of the students on the tour. And by his own admission, that moment was a landmark moment in his life that he never forgot. I'm wondering if it could be today that God would challenge us through the life of Obed-Edom. That if his lesson that is given to us and such a short few verses of scripture could impact us so that we could move the glory of God in our homes. But it's only going to happen through that simple element of dedication. Could God have a moment like that for us this morning? We're in the hearing of God's word and simple preaching that something stirs a fire on the inside of us and we're never the same again because of the power of a dedicated life. What could God do with one life that's wholly dedicated to Him? How could He impact the world? How would He transform the environment? Could kings be impacted? Could leaders be impacted because of one individual with one dedicated life? I wonder if God could do that through us this morning. Could we impact generations that follow because we made room in our lives for His presence today? I wonder if we could be willing to fight for our family, to fight for our future, to fight for faith this morning in the face of fear that we'd be willing to stand up and say, God, I'll be the one today that will dedicate my life like I never had before just to see what God could do through a life like that. If we build God's house, he will build ours. Could you stand together with me this morning? Come on, there's, a, there's an attack on homes. There has been for decades. But does it surprise anybody that, come on, the devil's greatest device is division. He brings divorce. He brings separation. 
husbands from wives. He brings separation of parents from children, rebellion, and it's at work in homes. But, but can we see that's, that's a device? Don't be ignorant of the devil's devices. That's a device that, that he uses. But could we look to the flip side and see what God wants to do in homes? That God's a unifier, that, that God unites. That's why a man leaves his father and his mother he becomes one with his wife. Union. God is all about united. God is about us coming together. God, God says, honor your parents. That's the first commandment with promise. He's about collectively bringing the family together. Why? Because God has power at work in your home. God can release authority through your home. That place of private dedication can impact the world. It can impact the world around you. It can impact your future. It could impact generations, and it could be that years from now, if God tarries, every one of your descendants could be doorkeepers in the house of God. Could you pray together with me, Jesus? I thank you for that simple life of Obed-Edom. God, that he was willing to allow your glory to come. God, that he allowed that simple trust of what you wanted to do in Israel to echo through the doors and the halls of his home. God, that your love was greater, that your mercy was enough, that you weren't just a God designed to destroy, but God, if we operated by your plan and we dedicated our life, that you would impact the world through us. I... I pray, God, that someone would see the hope on the horizon today. I speak in the face of fear. I, I speak your faith, God. I speak that faith that you've given to every man, that measure. God, we're releasing it to work. We're releasing it to activate lives and homes. We're releasing it to dispel fear. God, we're releasing it among our own family. I pray that someone would dedicate their home today. I, I ask that a father or a mother would stand in the doorway and declare that this house is dedicated unto you today, that these lives are yours, God, that this future is yours. Use us for your kingdom. Build your church in us today, we pray. God, build your church in every hamlet and every home. God, build your church in every corner of our city. Build your church. God, build your church in apartments and in houses. God, build your church in condominiums and trailer parks. God, I, I pray you'd build your church with individuals that are committing right now to say, God, right here in my home, would you do that kind of work? God, right here in my house, let it be light in the midst of darkness. Right here in my house, let your word be declared with authority. Right here in my house let the devil be defeated and let God be exalted right here in my house confound the enemy God let the Philistines be so confused as to why they couldn't handle you but we could God be at work in our homes today I pray Come on, pray in the Holy Ghost for a moment. Come on, 
Come on, begin to make declaration over your home. As for me and my house, as for me and my family, as for me and that generation that's following me, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We'll serve him in spite of what's happening around us. We'll serve him in spite of confusion. We'll serve him in the middle of fear. I've come to serve the Lord today. I'm determining, I'm dedicating my life, my future, my family to you, God. It's more than just a ceremony when there's just a baby child. It's more than that today. I'm dedicating my life. I'm dedicating my home. I, I feel the Holy Ghost helping us right now. Both hands in the air, if you would. Voice lifted right now. My life, God. My life, Jesus. If you're with your family here this morning, if the people near, around you are in your bubble, I wonder if you would just gather shoulder to shoulder, put your arms around one another. We're going to pray that God... God would move this morning. God, more than a sermon, we're praying that there be a moving of your spirit right now. Come on, pray one for another. Pray for that anointing to rest. Come on, if it's a need that you got amongst you, pray for God's provision. Come on, pray the promises that come with his presence. Pray the promises over your home. Pray the promises over your children. Maybe, maybe you're a single this morning. Pray for your parents. Pray for your children. Pray for your family. Pray for, pray for your church family this morning. Pray for your pastors. Pray for their families for a moment. God, I ask that you would allow us to step into a brand new level of dedication today. God, let commitment rest for more than just this moment. But God, as we leave this room, cast down fear. Zabosea barikoto Rebeto shamara katara bora baka tera bosende abokora baba. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Lord, for your presence that's abiding here. God, I pray that you would be in every home of every individual that's watching right now. I pray that you would be with every person that's able to be present on our campuses this morning, that you would touch them today, that we would leave on purpose, willing to dedicate like we never have before. Lead us, God, I pray. Order our steps. In Jesus' name I ask. The church said amen this morning. Amen.